And Lord, as we look in your word this morning, help each one of us to hear those things that you mean for us. No more and no less. And as James says, let us be doers of your word, your will, and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in John 5 again this morning. Before I get there, though, you remember one of the great uh, Christmas classics is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And Dickens' story is about this very wealthy old guy, Ebenezer Scrooge, and a very poor guy, Bob Cratchit, his helper. Dickens' inspiration for that story was taken primarily from Luke 16. Luke 16. And it's the story Jesus told about a wealthy man who lived in great wealth and pomp and luxury. And then right outside his gate was this poor man, his Bob Cratchit, so to speak. And the poor guy, Lazarus, he was just glad if he could get crumbs from the wealthy man's table. And they both died. And it's interesting that the story says that Lazarus was accompanied by the angels to the place where Abraham was, this place of comfort. And it says the wealthy man was buried, and he wakes up in torment. And, of course, there's a short conversation that ensues. This is in Luke 16, 9 through 31. First, the wealthy guy says, hey, Abe, would you send Lazarus over with a little drop of water? He says, I can't do that because there's a chasm between. We can't get across to you. You can't get across to us. Well, the wealthy man is thinking about his situation, and he's got brothers still at home who are alive, and he knows they're headed to the same place he's at. So he says, okay, well, Abe, would you send Lazarus back then and warn my brothers so that they won't end up in the same place I am? And listen to what Abraham says. He says they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, then they would repent. But Abraham said, verse 31, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. They've got Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe them, they won't believe, even if someone should rise from the dead. Now, last week, if you remember back in John 5, we were kind of in a courtroom setting. And you remember Jesus was marching forward, his witnesses, one by one. Remember we said the law said you establish a fact by the witness of two or three independent witnesses. And so Jesus says, hey, I'll go better than that. I'll give you four. No, I'll give you five witnesses to my claims that I'm God the Son, the Savior of the world. And he talked about the scriptures and the miracles and John the Baptist and the Father and Moses. And basically we said, you know, God was just trying to make it as easy as possible, so to speak, to believe in Jesus. That believing in him would be like falling over the truth. It would be so obvious, so evident, because he's marshaled these great witnesses and marched them forward one by one. This morning as we finish John 5, we're going to look at the other side of this issue of believing or trust, and that is to say, why didn't this group believe. Jesus says, hey, I hear all the witnesses. I'm going to give you all the proof you need to believe in me. And then the question becomes, well, why didn't they believe? And the text this morning gives us two reasons, and that's what we'll look at. That's what we'll spend the balance of our time on. Why didn't they believe? Why don't people believe today in Jesus? And frankly, at times, why don't we believe? We who have trusted Christ, 
Why at times do we not believe what God has said? Why do we have difficulty with the truth? This morning's text sheds light on this. We're going to pick back up at verse 39. I know we covered this before, but that's where we'll start this morning. John 5, 39 through 47. Jesus saying to this group of religious leaders from the Jewish community, he says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me. You are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I don't receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. This is probably a veiled uh, reference to the Antichrist. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. In fact, you remember earlier Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I've come to save the world. He says, I won't accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you've set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Look at verse 39 again. For the first reason, Jesus points out their issue with faith or trust, the reason they didn't believe. Verse 39, Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me. So to the questions, why didn't this group of religious leaders believe Jesus? Jesus says one reason is you search the scriptures because you believe that in them you have life. Now, uh, this sounds, I hope I don't sound heretical this morning. You guys know uh, if there's one thing I believe in, it's reading the Bible. These guys read their Bible like we never do and never will. They had memorized most of what we call the Old Testament, right? Moses, the law, the prophets, and the writings. They knew it inside and out. In fact, one of the reasons that the Bible we have is so accurate today was because of these guys' reverence for the scriptures. That affected the way they passed it down. So they knew what God had said. That wasn't a problem. They had all the information in the world. But this is the problem. It says, Jesus says here, they look to the scriptures themselves for life. They look to the scriptures for life. Now, the scriptures are many things. They're God's word. He says so. In fact, the New Testament says they're breathed from God. It's as if he breathed them out of his own mouth. They're words of wisdom. They're words of truth. They're lots of things. Primarily, though, the scriptures are meant to be a witness or a testimony to God and to Christ. There's a difference here. The scriptures are not an end in themselves. They're a witness to a person. The scriptures are a witness to a person. So, as valuable as your Bible is, it is not God. God is not contained in the pages of your Bible. He's not there. If you burn your Bible, you haven't done anything to harm God. God's omniscient and he's omnipotent. He's not contained within the covers of your Bible or mine. It's his word and it's important. This is what I mean. I'm not minimizing the value of the scriptures. But the scriptures are not God. 
These guys knew what the scripture said, but they didn't know God. They had made an idol, if you will, of the scriptures rather than God. They had put something between themselves and God, and it was his word. Now, if you remember, this isn't the first time this happened in Israel's history, and we've talked about this before. You remember Jesus said, just like the serpent in the wilderness was raised up on a pole, I'll be raised up. We, we talked about this earlier around Easter. If you remember in Israel's history earlier, in the wilderness when they didn't believe, and they were doing all kinds of things that God didn't like. He sent these serpents into their midst, and when they bit them, they died. And so what did God do? He had Moses make a serpent out of bronze, lift it up on a pole, and he said, you know what, if you get bit, just look at the serpent, and you'll be healed. And then you know what Israel did with the serpent after that? They turned the serpent, a symbol of God's life, into an idol. So later King destroyed it because he understood that the serpent had replaced God. So he got rid of it. And we don't get rid of the scriptures. But for these Pharisees, the scriptures, God's word, something that was from God and meant to be profitable, had, had actually displaced God. It had displaced God. Uh, this is interesting, too. Think of some of the key verses that these guys knew. Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love the Lord your God. See, these guys loved his word, but they didn't love him. They were breaking the first and great commandment. These guys didn't know it. Or in Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God besides me. They made an idol out of the word. This is uh, 
Okay, so for these Jewish leaders, the facts related to Jesus are not the issue. It, w it had nothing to do with available information for their lack of trusting Jesus Christ. It had nothing to do with the information, with the testimony, with the witnesses. Information or facts were not the issue. Their will was the issue. Their heart was the issue. That's why they didn't believe. That's why Jesus says you can't believe because your heart is to please 
yourself, your heart, your motive is to receive glory or attention or favor or importance to yourself. You're the center of the universe, not God. And so you only believe what's pleasing to you. You're only able, you're only willing to believe what furthers your agenda, which is your own deity, so to speak. In fact, take this back to the first temptation in the garden. Satan promises Eve that she'll become the center of the universe. And Adam, see, you'll be God. That's the temptation from the start. So Jesus says to this group of very knowledgeable, factually relevant people, you can't believe truth, not facts, truth, because your will is to please yourself, not God. You're after your own glory, not God's, and so you cannot believe the truth. When people today, and I'm sure probably most of us in here have had an experience where we've shared the gospel or had interaction with people that we, we like. You're drawn to them, maybe. And they're sharp. They're intellectually astute in one way or another. And you share the gospel, and you go away scratching your head wondering why they don't believe, because it's so simple, and because the facts are so obvious. And it's because the issue is not facts, and it's not information. It's the will, and it's the heart. It's the motive. That's the issue. Make sure I don't get ahead of myself here. In fact, if you look back at John 5.30, Jesus said there's something along the same line. He said, His judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. He says, My perception of life is true. What I say is true. My understanding is true because I don't seek my own will. Unlike the Pharisees, he was not putting himself at the center of the universe, even though he could. Even though he was God, he was the one who could legitimately do that. But he said, as a man on earth, his will, his judgment, what he understood and what he declared to others was true, truth, because he sought God's will. That was the reason. It's his heart was after God's glory. Jesus is saying in these passages that it's our heart, not our head, that allows us to believe truth. That it's our motive, not our mind, that's at issue when we're approaching moral truth. Not facts, but truth. What is ultimately true. There's a great verse or two in Psalm 119. Uh, my men's group read this, uh, and so have a few of us in a book we're going through. Listen to what this says. <clears throat> Psalm 119, verse 99 and 100. I have more insight than all my teachers. I have more insight than those who have more knowledge or information than I have because your testimonies are my meditation. I'm giving myself to your word. The Pharisees did that, but listen to Psalm verse 100. I understand more than the age, that is, those who've been around longer, those who know more than I do. I understand more because I have observed your precepts, because I have obeyed you. I understand. Stand more. I understand more. The ability to perceive truth is directly proportional, we could say, to our willingness to obey God and seek His glory. Truth is morally discerned. It's our heart that determines what we're able to believe. 
Jesus is going to talk about this again later in John 7. And <clears throat> I'm going to read a couple of verses out of this. John 7:17 7, is a good memory verse if you don't know this one already. Jesus there in a very similar conversation with the Jewish group says, My teaching isn't mine. It's his who sent me. John 7, 17, If any man is willing to do his will, willing to do the Father's will, he will know the teaching, that is what Jesus himself was saying, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Jesus said to his audience that was listening to him, The way you can know what I'm saying is true or not is if you're willing to obey God. If you're willing to obey, you'll know what's true. And if you're not willing to obey, you won't know. He ends by saying, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. I don't know if you remember, but in Acts 20, when Paul is going back to Jerusalem and he recruits this group of elders from Ephesus to sit down with him and meet with him, he knows he won't see them again. He entrusts them to God and his word. And then he tells them that he knows even from their own midst, these are leaders in the church in Ephesus, state-of-the-art church, he says he knows that some from their own group will rise up speaking perverse things to draw men after themselves. He says that they will seek their own glory and that's why they will speak from themselves. They'll speak from themselves because they seek their own glory. They will or won't believe the truth depending on whether they are or are not seeking God's glory. There is no unrighteousness in the one who seeks God's glory. Truth is morally discerned. In fact, uh, you remember uh, Jesus' uh, parable of the sower and the seed? That he throws, the farmer goes out with that bag of seed and he throws the seed and there's four different kinds of soil. And on one hand he says, you know, it's the last soil that he's getting to. Hey, it's the good heart. It receives God's word and it brings forth fruit over time. There's another sense in which you can look at that and it says this, that God's word proves what kind of soil you and I are. That is, when his word hits our life, when we obey it, we bring forth fruit and it proves that our hearts are right with God. When we hear God's word and we don't obey it, it's an indictment on our heart. God's word proves what our motives are. God's word proves what our motives are. When you and I act contrary to the truth, we're disobeying God's law in one way or another, his commandments. It dulls our ability to perceive truth. It dulls our ability to perceive truth. You know, none of us are perfect. This isn't a surprise. None of us are perfect. And all of us have areas in our life where we're not doing what we know we should be. Or we're doing things that we know we shouldn't be. And in those areas, we are dulled to the truth because we are seeking our own will. And typically what happens is this. If we have something in our life that we continue to pursue, even though we know it's against what God wants for us, the dullness that starts in that area spreads to other areas. We've talked about this before. But you know, if you want to stop sin, you don't worry about ten steps off the path of obedience. You just worry about one, just the first. 
You keep it simple. You don't have to worry about, how do I turn around 10 steps down, 20 steps down? No, you just say, I start at the beginning. Don't take the first step off the path of obedience. Disobedience, whatever it is, whether you think it's a big area or a small area, when we cultivate that or we protect that or we keep that going over time, it dulls our ability to perceive truth. And you've probably, maybe for yourself or for someone you've known in the past, maybe someone you know now, you wonder why they don't get it in some area of their life. You wonder why you don't get it in some area of your life. Ask yourself or ask them, is your heart right with God? Is your heart right with God? Because truth is morally perceived. If our hearts aren't right, Jesus says we can't believe the truth. We won't get it. What's our will? Where is our heart? In Psalm 73, Asaph wrote about his experience, and he said there was this period in his life when he was looking at the wealthy, kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge. He says he was looking at the life of the wealthy, and he was really ticked off because the wealthy that he knew, they had this easy life. They had all the money. Their life was easy. In fact, it says they had no discomfort. They had kids. They had this happy, joyful life. And Asaph was ticked off about this. And he was so upset and so disturbed that he said that before God, he was like an unreasoning beast. He says, I was like a beast before you. Why was that? Well, he wanted his will to be imposed on those other folks. He wasn't after God's will. And when he wasn't, he said in his own mind, he'd become like an animal that couldn't understand what God was up to because he was putting his will in front of God's. He wanted his judgment to be performed on these wealthy. But it says, then he came into God's presence and he saw their end. He saw what God said was true. And then his whole countenance his whole ability to perceive changed but it changed when he came and submitted himself to God when he wasn't he says he was like an unreasoning animal a beast before God and you know in your life and mine I there have been times in my life when I have just struggled with God Lord why are things the way they are Lord I'm not happy with what you're doing in my life now Why aren't things different or better? Why aren't I better or more successful or whatever? I mean, chalk it up, whatever our personal idols are. Generally, it's because there's some issue between God and us. There's some area in which we're saying to God, my will be done, not yours. We're seeking our glory, not his. And that becomes the stumbling block for us. That's what keeps us from knowing the truth. Now, sometimes we're confused anyway, even if our heart is right with God. We don't understand why he allows things to go on the way they do or why we have pain or frustration in our life. We don't always understand these things. But if you're in one of those situations, just like if you're sick, we've talked about this. If you're sick, you could ask God, Lord, is there anything that you're wanting to talk to me about? Are you causing or allowing this sickness because you want to get my attention? Well, we can say the same thing to God if we're confused or frustrated. Lord, is there any issue 
that you've got with me? Have I hardened my heart to your will? Am I seeking my will instead of yours in some area of my life so that I'm dull to the truth you want me to know? You know, even if hard things go on in our life, we should be at peace before God. We should have a sense of peace in our heart before God, even if we don't understand everything. We can still be right between our Father and us, and we can still go on. But if we're beastly, like Asaph was, or if we're struggling and wondering why we don't understand things or why they're the way they are, it's prudent to at least ask the question, Lord, is my will opposed to yours in some area here? Have I set myself against you? Am I seeking my glory or your glory? Remember, for this group Jesus is talking to, they know the Bible, they know what it says, they've memorized it, but when its author stands before them, they don't know who he is. They reject him. They reject him because morally they're disposed to their own will. Morally they're seeking their own glory, not God. You remember in Dickens' story, Dickens' story has a happy ending. Do you remember? Because unlike Luke 16, these guys from beyond the grave come to Ebenezer Scrooge, and he believes, doesn't he? He believes the truth about Christmas, and his life is revolutionized. Because the voices from beyond the grave, see, they convince him. But you remember in Luke 16, Abraham says the voice from beyond the grave won't convince them if they don't already believe the testimony they've got. That's Luke 16. John 5, Jesus says, if you believed Moses, you you would believe me. And do you remember what Jesus does after this? Jesus, he rises from the grave, doesn't he? And this group that refused to believe him now, when he comes back from the grave, do they believe him then? They don't believe him then either. Because it never was about proof. It never was about evidence. It never was about facts or information. It was always about the disposition of their heart and their will. They were the center of the universe, not God. And this can be clothed in many, many different ways. Lots of people that go by religious lifestyles, Jesus is going to say in eternity, much to their shock and chagrin, depart from me, I never knew you. To be religious doesn't say anything about your heart. The world is full of religious people who don't know Christ. Can you imagine... I think, what a waste. I mean, frankly, if I'm going to hell, I'd rather have a good time on the way there. Rather than be religious and go through all these whatever, I mean, you know, self-restraint and everything, why bother? And the world is full, frankly, under the banner of Christianity as well as all the, under all the other banners, full of religious people who do not accept or trust Christ. And they're serving their own purposes in, the, in being religious even because it, it feeds into their own pride, their sense of importance or whatever. What a waste. What a waste. So truth is not about facts merely. It's about the will. The best way for me to make sure that I can continue to know truth is to obey. Uh, trust and obey is not just a kid's song. It's this great philosophical truth about your and my ability to perceive truth. 
if we will trust and obey, we will perceive truth. This is easy. I love this. Uh, this, is, this is as if God takes the profundities of the universe, of his person and creation, you name it, anything that's important, and he puts it on the lowest shelf in his kitchen. And he says, kids, come and check it out. It's like cookies in a cookie jar. It's all there for you. And you know what? You don't have to be bigger than a kid to get it. All you have to do is trust and obey. And then you'll perceive truth. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter if you're seven six and can jump tall buildings in a single bound, if you're not willing to trust and obey, you're not going to get the cookies in the cookie jar on the lowest shelf. We don't have to be intellectual giants to get the truth. We don't have to jump through the hoops these guys jumped through. What we do have to be willing to do is to say to God, you're God and I'm not. And I'm here to serve you and to glorify you. You know, the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy Him forever. This is it. This is all it's about. And when we seek God, we seek truth, because He is truth. If we seek something that's not truth, or if we are telling ourselves that truth's important to us, but we're going the other way, we can't have truth. To pursue God is to pursue truth. To pursue truth is tr truly to pursue God. So this week... When you read your Bible, and I hope you will, ask God, Lord, help me to be willing to do your will. Lord, help me to be willing to seek your glory so that I can understand the things you've given for me to know. You know, if we have that attitude, we'll know what God wants us to know. We'll observe truth. We just got to keep it simple. Lord, help me to trust and obey. Help me to Seek your glory. Help me to do your will. It's that simple. And then we'll understand the complexities of the universe. Let's pray. Lord, if uh, trusting in you, if knowing you, if coming to you was based on our intellectual acuity, we, most of us, might be in trouble. Uh, Lord, it's uh, both your kindness and your graciousness to us that to understand truth and to come into a saving relationship with you is not based on some great academic or intellectual ability we need to possess. Lord, thanks that those who are willing to do your will can know what's true. Lord Jesus, we know that you embody all that is truth. Lord, we know that you've left ample evidence in creation and in your word for us to trust you, to entrust ourselves to you. Lord, the real issue comes down to our wills, to the motives of our heart. Um, Lord, the truth is that many times we're just small and beastly and we simply want what we want. Lord, help us to your glory and to our good Seek your glory. Help us to be willing to simply trust and obey you. God, help us to put you first, to love you with all that we are. Lord, thanks that when we entrust ourselves to you, you're free to bless us in all the ways you want to, both in time 
and eternity. And Lord, as we open your word this week, speak to us, speak to us in words we can understand. Help us to bring trusting, believing, humble hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.